Hey, welcome to the podcast for Scotts Hill Baptist Church. We hope this message helps you discern what is true, what is right, and what is good. We pray it is an encouragement for you today. If you have a Bible or want to download the Bible app real quick and follow along, we're exploring the book of Psalm today, specifically chapter one. Enjoy the message. Good morning and welcome to Scottsdale Baptist Church. So good to see all of you here live this morning, to see you smiling and enjoying this time together as we've worshiped together. And those of you who are watching at home, we're so glad that you're joining us there as well. I know that some of you, you may be first time guests to our website. We're so glad that you were able to join us this morning. We want to welcome you. My name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor here at Scotts Hill. If you want to know more about the ministries of Scotts Hill, just look it over on online, check out our website, check out all the ministry that we have, the online content that we have for you and your family. And we'd love to welcome you to and, and invite you to come join us one Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11 o'clock. We'd love to see you here. And for those of you who are members and regular attenders and you are at home, maybe some of you don't feel comfortable coming out yet. Some of you are in watch parties right now and you're watching us live this morning in a group of folks. And some of you are at home with a lot of small children and maybe you feel uncomfortable in bringing your families back yet. We have done everything we need to do to socially distance ourselves from one another, to take all the precautions during this time and we want to invite you to come back and join us live. If you have small children, we want you to know that we're working on a plan right now to relaunching our children's ministries in the days ahead. But until that happens, we want you to come join us. It's okay. Bring your kids with us. We're family. And as a family, we have children together. And our children cry. Our children whine. Our children squirm. Our children make noise, just like many of the adults in this room do. And so we want to invite you to come. And because we're a family, let's do this thing together. We can't wait to see you. And hopefully in the days ahead, we'll be able to spend that time together as we sing and as we exalt God's name together. Now, talking about singing, music is an important part of all of our lives, isn't it? Every one of us, every single day, we are inundated with music. I mean, we hear it on our phones, we hear it in our automobiles, we hear it at the grocery store, we hear it at our workplace, we hear it even in elevators. Everywhere we go, music is all around us. Now, music was important in my life and still is important in my life, but as a kid, I grew up with a very musical family. My dad was a guitarist and a great vocalist. And there were five kids in our family. I have two brothers and two sisters. And it was always my dad's dream to have a country version of the Jackson Five. It was. And so we grew up and we had to play music. We had no choice. My older brother, Dennis, he played the bass guitar. I played the drums. My younger brother, David, played the steel guitar. My two sisters, Peggy and Faye, they played the tambourines and they were the backup singers and the vocalists for Paper Roses that we always sang. Some of you remember that song. And we would gather together and we would rehearse and every single Saturday night, Without fail, we would go to a place called the Old South Jamboree. We were called Gill and the Country Kids. And we were the, the, the featured band every Saturday night. My dad's name was Gilbert. I'm glad he named me Phil and not Gilbert. But uh, it was Gill and the Country Kids. We didn't even live in the country. And I hated country music. 
hated country music. My mom, her role was she made our outfits. That's what she did. She made our outfits, white pants, red and white checkered shirts. We looked like tabletops from Pizza Hut. But every Saturday night, Gil and the country kids. And I just have never liked country music. And ever since then, I cannot stand country music. Now, I don't mean to pick on country. You know, maybe I do mean to pick on country music. But, but there are a lot of reasons I don't like country music. Some of it is because it doesn't really afford a lot for drummers. You know what I mean? It's kind of the same beat, particularly the old country style music. It was always the same thing. But there's a lot of country music out there today that's more progressive, but it's not exactly intellectually stimulating, if you know what I mean. Uh, you could go through the history of country music, and there are some really silly songs, but there's some that still are in the circuit. And I just heard one a couple of weeks ago. It goes like this. My town is smaller than your town, and I got a bigger buck and bass on my wall. Got a little more kick in my drawl, y'all. I got a little more spit in my chaw. And my truck's louder than your truck. My collar's a little more blue. You think you're redneck, but I'm rednecker than you. And I am so pleased to know that I'm not as redneck as you, <laughs> says the mayor of Holly Ridge. <laughs> but then Chris and I were at the beach last week. Our family came in. It was 4th of July. We set up, you know. We're all sitting here. And this lady comes and sits right in front of us. I mean, six feet in front of us. I was glad that there was a socially distancing rule because she may have come a little closer. But and rather than facing the beach, she turned her chair sideways so we can look at her laying in her lounge chair. She turned on her country music and she was blasting it. And here is the song that was playing. It could be raining on your perfect vacation. You could be stressed about your work situation. Ain't got to listen to me, but all I'm saying ain't nothing that a beer can't fix. <laughs> ain't no pain it can't wash away. From the moment that it hits your lips, it makes those clouds look a little less gray. You may be lonely. You may be brokenhearted. And I'm going to stop right there because it keeps getting worse. <laughs> now, the reality is with, 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 with the advent of Spotify today, we can listen to all kinds of music. And, and the thing that's scary to me about those songs I just quoted to you, what's really scary to me is as I'm watching you, many of you are singing it right with me. And some of you at home, you are throwing down right now because you think we can't see. But the thing about music is we all love music, don't we? There's something about music. There's something about music that stirs our heart. There's something about music that moves our emotions. There's something about music that calms our spirits. There's something about some songs that make us want to dance. Some music makes us want to smile. Some music just makes us want to cry. Some music disturbs us. Some music encourages us. And here's what we need to remember about music. God is the one who created music. He's the one who established music. God is the one who invented music. I've heard people say that music is the tool of the enemy. No, 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 no. Let me tell you something. Satan cannot create anything. He only distorts what God makes. And while he may distort it, God himself has given us 
music. And one of the greatest collections of scriptural, biblical music is what we call the book of Psalms. And in the book of Psalms, there are 150 songs given to us by the Holy Spirit himself. Now, the music in the book of Psalms is different from the music that we listen to today. It really is. In the sense of this, the music in the book of Psalms, the songs in the book of Psalms, they don't come with notes. They don't come with um, rhythm charts. They don't come with certain genres. They don't come with certain styles. The Holy Spirit did not record any of those things. Why? Because genre, style, rhythms change. But the content of the truth of God's word never changes. And so what we see in the Psalms is the truth of God's word. And God has given us 150 songs to comfort us, to guide us, to encourage us, to rebuke us, to teach us, to stir within us a love and a passion for him that we may never have known. And so for the next six weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to be studying the book of Psalms. We've taken six specific Psalms that we want to look at. And in these Psalms, we're going to break them down. We're going to teach you what God's word has to say about each of these Psalms. And we're calling this Summer Playlist. And the reason we're calling it the Summer Playlist is not only do we want to teach you in the next six weeks of what God has to say to us through music, here's what we also want to do. We have created a playlist for Scotts Hill. We want to encourage you to fill your automobiles with the songs of God. We want to encourage you to, to fill your homes with the music of God, your workspaces with the music of God. And each week, we're going to create a different song list for you to listen to. You can go to our website. You'll find it there. You can download it. You can listen to it. And every week, we're going to update this song list so that we can saturate our hearts and our minds and our souls with the truth of God's word. So this morning, we're going to begin where we need to begin, Psalm 1. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, then look to Psalm 1, or your phones, or your devices. I just got a new phone, and I realized that I didn't turn it on silent, and it is just going off in my pocket <laughs> right now. But here's what we want to do. We want to be able to focus on the Word of God through music in the next six weeks. Incredible truth. Psalm 1. We don't know who the author of this psalm is. David has written 73 of the psalms that we find in the book of Psalms. We see that some other names, such as Asaph, has written a number of them. The sons of Korah have written a number of them. Moses wrote one. And a guy by the name of Ethan wrote another psalm. But as we pour through these psalms, we want to hear what God's word has to say. And Psalm 1 is the great beginning point of it because it starts the book of Psalms. And it begins in a very inspiring, encouraging manner. So let's begin reading Psalm 1 together. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Today, as we begin this new series and as we listen and, and look at this song that you have given to us, may you teach us incredible truth, Father, that stirs our heart, that convicts our heart, that changes our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it's really interesting the way this psalm begins. The very first song of the book of songs, Psalms, begins with the word blessed. And the word blessed is reminiscent of the, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes of Jesus. And so it starts with a really upbeat, powerfully encouraging message. Blessed. The word blessed means joyful, supremely happy, totally content. That's the picture here, is that he is about to talk about how is it that a person can live their lives filled with joy, filled with happiness, filled with contentment. But here's the problem. In this psalm, he paints two paths and two kinds of people. And that there's only one path and one kind of person that will enjoy joy and happiness and contentment. And he speaks in this psalm of the two kinds of people. He makes it really simple. It's very simplistic. He says, you are either righteous or you are wicked. That's it. He only makes two categories in humanity, righteous people and wicked people. Now, we in our nature don't like that because we think those are the extremes. And so what do we do in human nature? We create a third category. We believe that there are people who are righteous, like, like Mother Teresa, oh, she was righteous. Billy Graham, oh, they're righteous. These are the people who have a really close relationship with God. And the people who are wicked, well, well these are the people like Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, Marx, uh, serial killers. Those kinds of people are wicked. And so what have we done? We've created a new category. Well, well, yeah, there are some righteous people really close to God. They're the really wicked people who deserve hell. But the majority of us, we're basically good. We're good. We're good people. We live right here in the middle. We love each other. We, we, you know, we, we think kindly of God. We're not offended by him. We're not angry with him. And so what do we do? We create that third category. Here's the problem with that. It's man-centered. It's not something that God clearly defines. And when God looks at all of humanity, no matter where you live, no matter what your heritage is, there are only two kinds of people those who are righteous and those who are wicked. That's it. The people who work with you on the job, they are either righteous or they're wicked. The people who live with you in your home, they're either righteous or they're wicked. The people who live in your neighborhood, they are either righteous or they are wicked. You see, the reality is this, apart from a relationship with God, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, his son, every single human being is seen by God as wicked. Oh, but they're nice. They're wicked. They're joyful people. They seem to have a really good life. It's all together. They're wicked. But you don't understand how much good they do for our culture. Apart from Christ, they're wicked. Apart from Christ, you and I are enemies of God. Paul says we're at enmity with God. Apart from Christ, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Apart from Christ, you and I are children of wrath. Apart from Christ, we are 
wicked and the heart is deceitful above all things who can understand it and the psalm is setting the picture here of just two kinds of people and it sets the picture for the rest of the book and indeed all of scripture we don't like that because we like to set up stages of goodness and we usually measure our goodness by somebody else's badness but God measures our goodness by his perfection. And we can never measure up apart from Jesus Christ. And so the only way that we need to understand this is this psalm is not even giving us a prescription for righteousness. It doesn't tell us how to become righteous. This psalm is not a prescription for righteousness. Instead, it is a description of a person who is righteous. And for the rest of the psalm, he says these are the marks of a person who's righteous. You want to know if a person is righteous? Do they portray these things in their life? And so this is a great measuring point for all of us to measure, okay, how is my righteousness towards God these days? It's not a prescription. It's a description. And what does the psalmist write? He gives us three marks of a person who is righteous. Number one, the righteous person finds his contentment in God's ways. The righteous person finds his contentment in God's ways. Notice how he begins. He begins with a negative tone. He says, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, blessed is the person, okay? And he's talking about the righteous person. Blessed is the righteous person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He's basically saying this. These are the things that a righteous person avoids. And what does he avoid? He avoids the ways of the world. And he gives us a progression here in how people get involved in the ways of the world. He says the righteous person doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. That means he doesn't consider the principles of the wicked. Then it says he moves from walking to standing. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. That's when a person stops and not only do they consider it, but now they begin to conform to it. And they begin to think about it. And then they start saying, yeah, I like that principle. You know what? That is a good thing. You know what? That does make me happy. And it moves from walking to standing to sitting. And when a person sits in the Bible, they are settled in it. That means it becomes a, a, a conduct that reflects the world. He's saying the person who is righteous finds their contentment not in the things of the world. Remember the story about... Lot and Abraham and their, their, their sheep folds were growing so large that they had to separate. And Abraham says to his nephew Lot, he says, you go ahead and pick out the land that you want. And here's what it says of Lot. It says, Lot looked to Sodom. The next step was he pinched his tents in front of Sodom. And then he moved into Sodom. And in the Bible, when a person sits, it's a completed act. But the person who is righteous is not one who listens to the counsel of the world and stops to contemplate it and make it a part of their life and then begin to live it. It is a person who avoids it completely. Because here's the reality. The things in the world will never bring contentment. They never will. That new house, that won't make you content. That new car, 
That won't make you content, especially when you get the notes. That new relationship, that won't bring contentment. That new job, that won't bring contentment. That new experience, that new emotion, that new thrill, none of those things will bring contentment. And here's why. John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Then he says, for the things of the world are passing away. Listen carefully. If the things of the world are passing away, then how do we expect to have contentment in things that do not last? And if the things of the world don't last, then our contentment will never last. But you see, the person who is righteous is the person who finds their contentment in God. Their joy is in his ways. Their satisfaction is in his ways. The apostle Paul writes to Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. This is what we've got. And when we leave, we bring none of the things that we have tried to accumulate with us. But if we have food and clothing, with these things we will be content. Then he says, listen, don't run after the things of the world. Don't run after the riches. Don't try to become wealthy and all these possessions to make you happy. Then he says this to him in verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Contentment will never come from what the world has to offer you and me. Contentment can only come in my relationship with God as my father. Because the things that he gives to me are eternal. The things that he blesses me with can never be taken away. The salvation that I experience because of my relationship with Jesus Christ is guarded in heaven by God himself. And the contentment, the joy, flows through my relationship with him. Ravi Zacharias was a great apologist and a great author and a great preacher. And he recently went home to be with the Lord. He had a rare blood disease. And as a result of that, he died very quickly. But in his book, Can a Man Live Without God? He tells a story of a little boy who had a house on the end of this very large plain, an open plain. And it was very, very large. But every, every morning he would wake up and as the sun would be rising, he would see a house across the plain with golden windows. And he was always intrigued by the house with golden windows. And he said, one day when I'm old enough, I'm going to go and find that house with the golden windows. And as he became a teenager, he continued to see that. The sun would rise in the morning. There would be the house with the golden windows. One morning, he packed his stuff. He knew it was a full day's journey, so he began to walk across that plain. As it was becoming evening and the sun was setting, when he got there, he came to the house. And he was so disappointed. The house had no golden windows. And he was so disappointed. As he's standing there contemplating this, a teenage girl walks out of the house, and she says, can I help you? He says, I've come here to look for the house with the golden windows. She said, well, you're facing the wrong direction. He said, what do you mean? She said, turn around. And as the sun was setting, the sun was shining on his house. And he could see golden windows. You see, the thing is this. A lot of times, the things we think is going to bring contentment, we already have. We already have. 
And why are you running after the things of the world when the Son of Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, is reflecting his light through us? And we have all that he already has given to us through his work on the cross. You see, the righteous person is the person who learns that their contentment is not in the things that are passing away, but it's in the things that can never be taken away. Here's the second thing. Not only do we find that the righteous person finds his contentment in the God's ways, but the righteous person finds his commitment to God's word. It's a great mark. The person who is truly righteous is a person who is committed to the word of God. He moves from a negative, now he moves to the positive, and he says this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I love this. It's so positive. His delight, his joy, his satisfaction is where? In the law of the Lord, in the word of God. Now, the word delight means great enjoyment. And I want to tell you this. Anything that you and I delight in, we think about and we pursue. If I'm in a relationship with someone and I delight in that person, I'm going to think about that person through the course of the day and I want to pursue that relationship with that person. If, if, if I'm delight in a particular leisure activity, I'm going to think about that leisure activity through the course of the day. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pursue that activity. And so whatever I delight in, I think about and I pursue. The person who is righteous, who is a person who walks in righteousness, is a person who thinks about the word of God and pursues the word of God. It's a person that says, I love God. Now, what are the marks of a person loving God in accordance with God's word? Let me give you four things. Number one, people who love God Love his word. You cannot separate the two. People who love God love the word of God. Now, you might not always understand the word of God. You might not always agree <laughs> with the word of God. You might even have times struggling with how to apply the word of God. But there's still a love for the word of God. I love my wife, Chris. We've been married this year. It'll be 35 years, 35 years of marriage. And, and so I love her and I cannot separate my, my participation with her words. Sometimes I don't understand my wife. Men, amen. Don't say amen. You don't even know my wife. No, <laughs> but we, so I don't even understand her at sometimes. Sometimes I don't even agree with her, especially if she's speaking truth about me. Sometimes I'm confused. Sometimes I don't even want to listen. But you know what? I don't ignore her all the time. But I, I, I love my wife, so I love the words that she shares with me. And the same is true with the word of God. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, four times he says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Psalm 119, 113. 
Then he says this, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law, Psalm 119, 143. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble, Psalm 119, 165. And then Jesus says this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. People who love God love his word. But here's the second thing. People who love God listen to his word. They listen to his word. And and, and there's something about listening to the word of God. Now, it means that I listen to the word of God, which means I read it and I listen to what God has to say to me. Or I listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and what he wants to teach me. But sometimes I just listen to God's word as it may be read. I love the way that um, God speaks to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 4.1. He says, and now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you and do them that you may live. Now, there are some really cool apps out there today that help us to listen to the word of God. I found one. It is really, really cool. This app is actually called Dwell. It's called Dwell. And all it is is the reading of God's word to you. And when you go on this app and you get this app, you can pick different kinds of people to read the word of God to you. There's Christopher, there's David, there's Mark, there is Rosie, and there's Felix. I like Felix. And I pick Felix, and here's why. Felix is of African descent. And he has that cool African accent. And it sounds... I don't know if you can hear it. But anyway, I probably messed this up really bad. But anyway, he's got that African accent, and it's so cool. And as I listen to it, I'm like, yeah! Man, I'm pumped up. I'm ready to go. Now, you can pick the different ones, but here's the cool thing about it. I'm listening to the Psalms, and every morning I turn it on, and I just listen to God's Word read over me. And there's something about the Word of God being spoken over you as you listen to it on a regular basis. So people who love God not only love his word, listen to his word, but thirdly, people who love God look to his word. They look to it. They're constantly looking at the word of God. We find this in Psalm 119.10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Then Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, in a time like this, people are constantly going to the internet to find answers for life. Have you noticed that? You can Google everything today. And it's made it really easy to do research. But I'm afraid what we've done is we've trust more in Google than we trust in God's word. And in the midst of a time like this, we are called to look to his word. What does he say about this? How does he instruct me in this? How am I to love in the midst of all of these difficult times? Listen and look to the word of God. And the last thing is this, people who love God, live his word. Live his word. It's one thing to know his word. It's one thing to meditate on his word. It's one thing to memorize his word, but it is totally different to live his word. The psalmist in one, Psalm 119.57 says, you are my portion, Lord. I have promised to obey your words. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And then in John, in 1 John, he writes these incredibly powerful and convicting words. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, whoever says, I know him, 
but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this way, we may know who are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So it's an obedience to the word of God. I want to tell you, the person who's righteous has a commitment to the word of God. These are the people who love the word of God. These are the people who listen to the word of God. These are the people who look to the word of God constantly. These are the people who live it. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of people can say, I love Jesus, but the mark of your love is your obedience. Oh, it's easy to say, I love Jesus. It's more difficult to demonstrate that you love him. And it's always through your obedience. Those who are righteous, they find their contentment in God. Those who are righteous, they find their commitment in his word. And then there's a result. Number three, the righteous person enjoys the certainty of God's blessings. The certainty of God's blessings. I really like this one. Because he puts it in an incredibly positive, encouraging way. For the man or woman who is seeking their contentment in Christ and seeking their commitment to his word are those who can walk in the certainty of God's blessings. And that's a promise from his word. Notice how he puts it. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, I want you to know something. This is not a prosperity gospel. This came way before the prosperity gospel. This came way before the health and wealth claims that many people have. This is truth in God's word. And we do not need to run from the truth of God's word. We must run to the truth of God's word. And there are three things that happen as a consequence of finding your contentment and your commitment to Christ. Number one, we have stability. You're like a tree planted. The picture actually in Hebrew says firmly planted. It's like a large tree with deep roots that is so secure that nothing can shake it. Those whose contentment is in Christ and commitment is in him and to his word are those people who are not easily shaken. There's stability in your life. Have you noticed that the people who really have a deep love and joy in Christ and their commitment to him are the people who, regardless of what comes their way, seem to walk right through it? But I will tell you this. Anytime somebody is walking in a place of instability, there are two things that are missing in their life. They're no longer finding their contentment in Jesus. And they move their commitment from his word to something else. And they've been shaken. But as we walk in those things, there's the certainty of the blessing of being firmly planted in him. Here's the second thing. Not only is there stability, but there's sustenance. He will be planted like a tree by streams of water. There's the sustenance. 
It's the sustenance that come from God himself. And as you and I are committed to those things, then the natural outflowing of that is God gives us the sustenance for our soul. His word nourishes us. It continues to help us to grow. And it's not just producing leaves so that the birds can fly in it, but it is producing fruit so other people can experience it. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And there is there is production in a person's life because of the sustenance that comes. And those individuals never experience their leaves withering. Here's the last thing, their success. Whatever he does, he prospers. Now there are a lot of things that can mean, but there is a prosperous state for a person who walks in obedience. Blessings always hinge on our obedience. Now we don't obey so we can get a blessing. We obey because we love our heavenly father and we want to please his heart. And the result of that comes blessings. It may or may not be in the place of financial blessings. It may or not be in a place of health. It may or may not be in one thing or the other. Because many Christians struggle in life. Many Christians die from diseases. Many Christians in the scriptures had difficult times and persecution. But they walked in an absolute success. And what was the success? Obeying Christ in all things. There's the success. So as we do that and walk in the contentment and a commitment to his word... There are the wonderful certainties of his blessings. Now, he closes it out. Moving from the righteous to the wicked. He doesn't spend much time, but here's what he says. The wicked person experiences the consequences of God's wrath. There's a consequence. The righteous people experience the blessing. Wicked experience the consequences. How does he say it? He, this is what he says. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. He makes it very clear. Makes it very clear that for the wicked person, there's no contentment. For the wicked person, there's no stability. There's no sustenance. There's no success. Here's the difference. Have you ever seen chaff? Chaff is that part of the wheat that is useless. And what they do to separate the chaff from the wheat is they take it and they throw it up in the air. And the wind just blows the chaff away. But the wheat, because it's heavier, falls to the ground. And they continue to do that until all the chaff is gone. And all that's left is the wheat. And those who are wicked will stand before God one day. The writer of Hebrews says, it is appointed once for men to die. Then after that, the judgment. Hebrews 9.27. And he closes this psalm with a very sobering note. Why does he do this? Because he wants us to measure and question our hearts. Who am I? Am I the righteous? Or am I the wicked? Where's my contentment based? Where's my commitment found? 
He gives the description of a righteous person, but he never gives the prescription. So what is the prescription for righteousness? Jesus. He's the answer. Jesus. The answer for righteousness is found in one person. The answer for righteousness is found in what Jesus did for us on the cross. When you consider what he did, Jesus handled the penalty for our sin. He died in our place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. He died for us. He became the propitiation for our sin. He satisfied the wrath of God once and for all. In 1 John 2, 2, he says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but the sins of the whole world. Jesus was the only one who can satisfy the wrath of God. Why? He's the only one who never sinned. If Jesus sinned, he could only die for his own sins. But because he never sinned, he could die for the sins of the world. And he became the only means to satisfy God's wrath towards wickedness. Thirdly, here's a great thing. He exchanges positions with us. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's the righteousness. It's through a relationship with Christ. And it's only in Jesus that you and I can find our righteousness. You might be here today, you might be watching online, and maybe as you've heard all this, you've come to realize, wow, two groups of people, righteous and wicked. I'm not righteous. So I find myself over here. What do I do? There's nothing you can do. Nothing. Why? Jesus has already done it. He went to the cross for you. He died in your place. He satisfied the wrath of a holy God. And here's what he wants you to recognize. Wow, I'm a sinner. I am that wicked person of Psalm 1. And my only hope is that God would count me as righteous. Your only hope is to recognize your sinfulness. Your only hope is to call out to God and ask him to forgive you. Through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, your only hope is to surrender your life to him, to repent of your sins, and to turn to him. And then comes the great exchange where he takes your unrighteousness and gives you his righteousness. And from this point on, there's contentment. From this point on, there's commitment. From this point on, there are blessings forevermore it's in him so I want to encourage you today if you discover yourself to be the unrighteous person God has given you the answer the prescription for salvation is Jesus and if you have questions we'd love for you to go to our website to call us to email us to reach out to us we'd love to meet with you talk with you and encourage you but today this is God's word for you right where you are because he loves you that much. Believers, if we're righteous, how's your contentment these days?
Are you content in him? How's your commitment to his word? We all fail in that, every one of us, without exception. But are you growing to love his word more and more? Are you beginning to see the blessings in your life of the stability and the sustenance and the success that flow from his grace to you? This is a great psalm of celebration, but it's a sobering psalm of reality. And our prayer for you as a body of Christ at Scott's Hill is that you would grow to love the Word of God and to be so content in Him that if every single thing of your life was snatched away from you, there would be joy because your name is written in the book of life. Walk in that contentment. Walk in that commitment to His Word. Enjoy the certainties of the blessings of God as He uses you in the lives of others. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your kindness to us today in Your Word. Thank You for Your love for us and giving us such wonderful truth that's sobering and encouraging at the same time. And Father, change us this week. May we walk in the beauty of that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the Scotts Hill Podcast. Thank you to those who continue to give generously to this ministry. If you want more information about Scotts Hill, how to get connected in your community, or want to know more about Jesus, visit www.scottshill.org slash podcast for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to get notifications of future episodes. You can also share it with your friends via text message or take a screenshot and post it on your social media stories. Make sure to tag us at Scott's Hill. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.